I want to talk today about worship. There's a, there's a popular trend, I guess, for the past few decades in some of the more evangelical Protestant churches to have what they call worship bands. You know, and it's, they're talented musicians and they sing what are basically pop songs about God and, uh, you know, and, and they're good and they elicit a lot of uh, good feelings in people and, but they call that worship. And I'm not making fun of these songs because they really can be helpful in having people raise up their minds and their hearts to God. And that's the very definition of prayer, isn't it? St. John Damascene says prayer is the, the raising of your mind and your heart to God. But prayer is not the same as worship. Prayer is an important part of worship because when we come to worship God, we should be raising our minds and our hearts to him. But that's not all that it is. There's more to it than that because we can do that at home, you know, much more conveniently. But we come here, don't we, on Sundays before the Lord. What are we, what are we doing when we come here? Well, since ancient times, it's been a common feature of nearly all religions across the globe to worship God or the gods that they believe in by means of offering a sacrifice. This was frequently an animal sacrifice, but it might also be a grain or a cereal offering. And in some cultures, they practiced human sacrifice. But whatever the form of sacrifice was, the idea was always the same. It was to give up something precious, to give something of value. And the more the sacrifice cost you, not just in terms of money, but in terms of, of real loss, the more the sacrifice cost you, the more honor that you give in your worship. And God himself commanded this form of sacrificial worship from the people of Israel. If you look in the Hebrew books of the law, they're full of instructions about precisely how and when to sacrifice rams and bullocks and goats and cattle and grain and incense, all these different forms of sacrifices. In fact, this instruction was a major aspect of God's revelation to his chosen people. You can't read the Old Testament and escape that. This was so important. And yet, and yet, woven throughout the Old Testament, we find hints that the worship God is really seeking involves something even greater, something even more. For example, in Isaiah, God says, what do I care for your sacrifices? I have had enough of burnt rams. And that may leave us scratching our heads, like, God, didn't you ask these sacrifices? You commanded them. That's why we're offering you these burnt rams. We're trying to do what you said. But in Psalm 50, God says, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And that's a silly question because, of course, God doesn't eat and drink these things, right? And this reveals an important aspect of, of worship. This is a key point. The sacrifice that we make in our worship, it's not really for God. God doesn't need these things. God is perfect. He wants for nothing. We 
need to offer God worship. We need to offer these gifts to our Creator, and God knows this, and that's why He commands it. And that's why the idea of offering sacrifice in worship has been, until very modern times, a near-human universal across all cultures, because it's, there's something that's built into our very nature that needs to offer gifts that all of these pagan religions of the world tap into. Now, there's also something in our nature that resists this, right? There's something that's built into our, it's part of our nature, it's not built into it, but it's part of our nature because of the fall, and that's selfishness. There's a selfishness in us that resists this need to give, and instead leads us to make false idols that demand far less of us. If you ever wonder, am I worshiping a false idol? If the God you worship only demands things that you already want to give, (laughs) chances are pretty good you're worshiping a false idol. But we know from experience that this selfishness is not as good, right? Because the more selfish we are, the more self-serving we are, the more we try and, and, and... take care of ourselves, right, and and serve only number one, watch out for number one. The more we we do this, the more miserable, the more closed off we become. Whereas by engaging in loving service to others, by giving ourselves to others, we grow in happiness, even when that service demands great sacrifice on our parts. Or to put it in Jesus' words, To gain our life, we must lose it. And that sounds like a paradox, but the explanation for it is this. We are made in the image of God, and God is love, and that means we are most ourselves when we love. And therefore, we can experience peace even when love requires sacrifice. And that's a lesson that everyone who loves comes to learn sooner or later. True love involves sacrifice. If you're not willing to make sacrifices for the one that you love, I hate to tell you, that's not really love you have for that person. This is why even when love causes us pain, we still prefer it to anything else. It's why Jeremiah couldn't stop preaching God's word even when it brought him nothing but trouble, nothing but hardship. He couldn't help himself because he loved God more than he loved his own life. In our gospel passage today, Jesus tells us that he loves us enough that he's ready to give his life for us to make that ultimate sacrifice. And he says this is the path of everyone who would be his disciple, for us to take up our cross and to follow him. Because there on the cross, with his arms outstretched, Jesus shows us what perfect love looks like. It holds nothing back from the beloved. It's a complete gift of self. And Jesus calls for us to follow him on this path of self-giving. Because it's what we were made for. We were made to be given away. We must lose our life to find it. In 
his first encyclical as Pope, Pope Benedict XVI's uh, God is Love, he speaks of this self-giving aspect of love. He contrasts the difference between what the Greeks called eros, romantic love, and agape, that self-giving love that we identify with charity. And Pope Benedict recognizes that love on a human level, it often begins with, with eros, right? Which he identifies with that desire to possess your beloved. You're attracted to someone. They make you feel good when you're with them. And so you naturally desire to possess them. You want to draw them in towards yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if love remains there, if it remains possessive, it can quickly degrade into lust. But if that love grows and matures, then a marvelous transformation takes place because a mature love is no longer content with wanting to possess the beloved. Now added to that is this desire to give oneself to the beloved. It becomes reciprocal. And this is agape, this self-giving love. And this is ultimately what the idea of offering a sacrifice as a means of worship is all about. It's making a gift of love. God tells us that the sacrifice that he truly desires is the sacrifice of a humble and contrite heart. He wants our hearts. That's why he was unhappy with all the sacrifices of Israel. Their hearts weren't in it. They were going through the motions of obeying the ritual law of God. They were offering the sacrifices, but they weren't obeying the fullness of God's law. They weren't living as his people. They weren't being faithful to him. They lacked love. And that's the sacrifice that we're called to make, is a sacrifice of love. But God teaches us in the Old Testament to offer only pure and unblemished sacrifices. And we are not unblemished, are we? Our hearts are not pure. So how can we make a worthy offering of ourselves to God? How can we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord as St. Paul instructs us? Jesus offers us the way. By uniting his divinity with our humanity and by making himself a sacrifice to God the Father on our behalf, he has become our paschal lamb. He is the perfect, unblemished, true love sacrifice that all of the other sacrifices offered on all other altars in the world were just a shadow of. This is true worship. It's not just prayer and it's not just praise, although it includes those things. True worship, the true worship that God desires, means participating in that one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we offer ourselves on the cross along with Christ? St. Paul says, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, not just your spirit. That means that our worship is something that we're called to do. It's an action. It's something physical. It's not just how we think or how we feel. So how do we do that? 
Some people do it literally, quite literally, by giving their lives as witnesses to their faith. That's how St. Peter did it, and so many of his successors. And people continue to do that today in places like Nigeria and Syria and China and so many places around the world. And you know there's more Christians today dying as martyrs than there were during the days of Nero? You just don't hear it reported on the news, but it's happening. But all of us are called to do this in our hearts by crucifying our selfishness and giving ourselves in loving service to God and to each other. And this is a great mystery that Christ reveals to us when he teaches us that the command to love your neighbor is like the command to love God. You know, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God. And he says the second one is like it. He doesn't say here's one commandment and then here's another separate commandment over here that you should also do. Right? He says the second one is like it. It's like the first. Right? The first commandment is to love God and the principal way that we show our love to God is to offer him worship. But your neighbor, like yourself, is made in the image of God. And so by making sacrifices for the good of your neighbor, you are, in a way, offering a sacrifice to the Lord. In fact, Jesus tells us at the final judgment, any act of love that we have offered to those in need will be recognized as an act of love given to God. So that's one way that we can participate in that perfect sacrificial offering of Christ. And that's by offering ourselves as living sacrifices to the images of God all around us. The other way that we can join in Christ's perfect sacrifice is sacramental. Through baptism, we become part of the body of Christ. So as members of the church, we are members of the same body that was offered to the Father on the cross of Calvary. We are members of the same body that rose from the tomb and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And having been joined to that body in baptism, we are nourished by that same body in the Eucharist. Christ has made himself our paschal lamb, as I said. And one important requirement of the Passover sacrifice was that the lamb had to be consumed. This is how the community participated in that sacrifice. The head of the household serving as priest, he was the one that slaughtered the lamb, but the whole household had to eat it. So on the night before he died, the night before he gave himself as our sacrifice, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given up for you. Do this in memory of me. And he took the chalice and he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in memory of me. Every time we receive the Eucharist, we participate 
in the offering of Christ's body and blood on the cross. We make that offering a part of our body. We join ourselves to him in a sacramental union that reaches from here to heaven. This is why the celebration of the Eucharist at the Mass has always been the primary way that the church offers worship. Ever since the time of the apostles, when they would gather together on the Lord's Day for the breaking of the bread, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are all those called to his supper. The Second Vatican Council calls this Eucharistic sacrifice the source and the summit of the entire Christian life because in it we offer the divine victim to God and ourselves along with it. Building off of this, the Catechism says that every other ministry and apostolate of the church, the whole life of the church, everything we do, it's bound up in the Eucharist and it's oriented towards the Eucharist because the Eucharist contains the whole spiritual good of the church, namely Christ himself. So come, let us worship the Lord. Let us bow down before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are His people. As we kneel before the altar today at this Mass to offer the bloodless sacrifice to the Father, let's be intentional about offering ourselves along with it. Let's make ourselves a worthy sacrifice by our fidelity and our devotion by the love that we have for God and for each other. Let's not be conformed to this age, this silly age that's passing away, but be transformed by the love of God, giving him our whole heart and not counting the cost. Whatever the cost is, it's worth it. It's worth it. What profit would it be to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So if there's anything that's preventing us from joining in this sacrifice of Christ, any mortal sin on our heart, anything that's keeping us separated from the church, let's leave our gift at the altar and go seek out that remedy that Christ offers in confession and be reconciled to God, which is, after all, the very reason for his sacrifice. May our love for God be like a fire burning in our hearts, like a thirst that only his infinite love can quench. And let us take up our daily crosses without fear, ready and eager to lose our lives for his sake so that we can share in his life for all eternity.